This is a podcast from Seven Vineyard. So, uh, did you have a good Christmas? Good. Did anybody develop any TV habits over Christmas? <laughs> did you watch it? What did you watch? What did you get into? Did you have anything? What's that? Dope Sick. What's that on? Oh, Dope, dope Sick. Don't Look Up. Don't Look Up. Yes, I watched Don't Look Up. That was good. Did anybody watch Emily in Paris? Yeah, did you watch it? I have to say, I'm a bit embarrassed to say this, but I watched pretty much, I watched well, both seasons. <laughs> yeah, seriously, they're 25 minute long. Uh, a bit like Modern Family. And uh, if you've not watched it, then you might think, you'll watch it and you'll go, why does he like this? But the reason I like it is because I'm a bit of a Francophile. I like the idea of living in France. One day we're going to live in France, aren't we, Claire? There's some news for you there. Sorry, we're going to live in France one day, in my dreams. Uh, so I, I really enjoyed kind of just living vicariously through the lives of these people. It's actually about a girl from Chicago who actually ends up living in Paris for a year and all the ups and downs of it. But you, um, you have to watch it for yourself and decide whether you like it or not. Any other TV box sets you got into over Christmas? Nothing else? The, the what? The girl before? You did get into that one, didn't you? Claire watches psychological thrillers. I can't watch psychological thrillers because I get too jumpy, so I, I ruin them for Claire. I, I just laugh rather than kind of, or I'll, I'll just explain it and, and really wind Claire up. So you've got a new partner with Amelie, haven't you, watching those? Yeah. Anything else? No? Okay. Well, try a few of those. Um, uh, what I wanted to talk about this morning was uh, habits and getting into good habits and bad habits. Last year, I developed a habit of reflection. And uh, for someone that tends to go from one thing to the next quite happily, it was, a, it was a welcome habit to develop. And I developed it deliberately, intentionally, and I did it with a few other people. Um, I did it with three other guys. And every Tuesday, I would sit down for five, ten minutes, write down the answers to four questions that helped me reflect on the previous week. What had gone well, what hadn't gone well, where I'd got triggered emotionally, um, what I was leaning into this week. And then for ten minutes, um, I would then share that with the other three guys on a Zoom call. We'd, we took about an hour over every Tuesday evening. And by the end of it, we all would go, oh, I'm really glad I talked that through. Or, oh, I'm really glad I thought about that. Um, the nearest thing I've heard about was a, is a mental health group that, uh, for men that meets in Southville. And there's literally quite a, 20, 30 men that sit in a group and they talk about how, what their feelings are like. And actually, I thought, actually, that's a little bit like this. It, it's where we sit down and we reflect and we talk about what's going on underneath the surface. And because I did it every week, I really got into the habit of it. And I also found that by sharing it with three other guys, I actually ended up doing something which I would never have done if I'd just done it by myself. Because anybody here do some journaling? Anybody write down their thoughts on a page, prayers, and that sort of thing? Yes, quite a few people. Well, I do the same. But the difference between what I did with these guys and journaling was I didn't just keep it to myself. I actually talked about it with other people. And there were some benefits to be had from that. I, I ended up feeling like that I was better known by other people. The level of trust between us increased. And we became closer friends as a result of it. Occasionally we'd go to the pub and we'd just talk trivia all night long. And that was great fun, but it was never as nourishing and as, as sort of replenishing as that 10 minutes of sharing with these three guys about what was going on in my life on that routine basis. Um, I, we felt like less isolated. Uh, there were, we went through different things. One of the guys lost their job and was unemployed for a while. Um, one of the guys lost their father. And it was really helpful to be able to share those experiences together and not feel so isolated. So trust increased. 
and that sense of loneliness which often afflicts all of us let's be honest if we really are honest we don't always tell many people our deeper thinking our deeper thought processes our feelings right and we can sometimes feel lonely in that place as if we're the only person in the world that's suffering that or indeed we are not telling anyone else that we're suffering that and everyone else thinks we're fine so actually being in that place of reflection not just by myself by my journaling but also in sharing with other people other than just my wife honestly I'm an extrovert my wife hears pretty much everything that goes on in my head and the poor girl has to have a sleep and a rest just to kind of get over it so it's really great to kind of have other people other than just my wife to talk to about these things on a regular basis so for me the habit of reflection has been a really important um, uh, habit to develop this last year and I'm looking forward to doing it more this year the reality is is that um, when we reflect and when we share more deeply with other people actually we grow emotionally we grow in our emotional health and uh, we, as you know, if you've been listening to our talks this last year, we understand that our spiritual health is dependent on our emotional health. In other words, our spiritual health will never outpace our emotional health, which is one of the reasons why I've been trying to lean into my emotional health. Now, um, what I want to do is this morning just uh, offer five questions to help you in your reflection. Um, and, but I want to encourage you to reflect with other people, not just by yourself. I would encourage you to find say, two other people, preferably the same sex, just to meet with and to reflect with. Um, don't just write it down in your own journal and keep it to yourself. Share it with other people, because by sharing it with other people, you get so much more emotional health and strength from being open with others than just keeping it to yourself. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to look at five questions that are taken from a story about Jesus. And if you've got a Bible, you can change, uh, look up rather, Matthew 23. Matthew 23 is one of the accounts of Jesus' life. We call them the Gospels. Uh, this one is written by a guy called Matthew. And... Um, in Matthew 23, we see Jesus challenging the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. So, essentially, people like me, like people like who are ministers, pastors, vicars, that sort of thing, people who, who, who teach the Bible, uh, th those are the sorts of people that Jesus was critical of and was, was criticising um, for their religious hypocrisy. So, um, says this in Matthew 23, verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples... He said this, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, people like Owen, uh, sit in Moses' seat. What he means by that is, is that they, they basically tell people how to live their lives, how to live their lives according to the law of Moses. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. Just note that. Jesus is not discouraging people from disobeying the teaching of the Pharisees. He's just saying you, you must be careful to do everything that they tell you to do. But do not do what they do. For they do not practice what they preach. So Jesus is a Jew. He's not a Christian, he's a Jew. He's upholding the Jewish law. He's saying, as Jews, you need to obey everything that is written down in the law. He never really challenged that. But he is clear that the teachers of the law, people like me, have lost all moral authority because they do not practice what they preach. It's similar to the government. When we heard about the lockdown parties, uh, Boris Johnson's government, 
He lost authority because he was not practicing what he preached. And his staff and his team were not practicing what they preached. And this is exactly what Jesus is criticizing the Pharisees and the teachers of the law for. Because they lose their authority. So Jesus says, don't do what they do. Do what they say, but don't do what they do. So, what we're going to find out here is five questions that Jesus suggests we can ask ourselves as we reflect on our own emotional and spiritual health. So, first question is this. And this is a question I want you to ask yourself as well. Am I growing tired and weary of my spiritual habits and rhythms? Are you feeling worn out by coming to church every Sunday? Are you feeling tired of praying every day? Are you tired of praying for other people? Are you tired of reading your Bible every day? Are you weary of fasting? Are you weary of uh, uh, reading spiritual books? What, what is your heart towards spiritual habits and rhythms? Are they like a heavy weight to you? And I want to ask you a question. If they are like a heavy weight to you, let me ask you, why do you do them? Why do you do that? Because if you can't answer the question why, you're going to find yourself in the same position as the Pharisees. Doing religious habits, doing religious uh, activities and uh, disciplines, but not knowing why you're doing them will always lead to a sense of imbalance between the inner and the outer and will lead her to hypocrisy. I want to suggest to you today, and you might be surprised to hear me say this, that if you can't answer the question why you do something, then stop doing it. Stop doing it. Hit pause. Say, I need to understand why I'm doing this before I do it and continue to do it. You know, I am utterly convinced that... Um, spiritual habits and rhythms are really essential for emotional and spiritual health. So I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying if you can't ask yourself, if you can't answer the question why you're doing it, then you're in danger of it becoming religious hypocrisy. Um, these rhythms are really important, but they need to have a purpose, and therefore they need to change from time to time. So ask yourself and reflect: Why do I pray? Why do I pray for others? Why do you have a list of other people that you pray for? Why do you fast? Why do you practice hospitality? Why are you generous? Why do you give money to the church? Why do you give money to charities? Why do you read spiritual books? Why do you live in a community house? Why do you serve on a team? Why do you volunteer with a charity? Why do you attend large and small gatherings of the church? Why do you sing songs in worship? Why do you sit in silence? Why do you paint and sculpt? and work prophetically. Why do you do those things? I, I have this growing concept in my mind. It's not really a concept. It's more a kind of description of what we do as church. That church is a community of people that live in a, a rhythm with each other, that have a certain rule of life with each other. So the very fact that we are here either at home or here at the station gathered together on a routine basis or a weekly basis is a rhythm that we share together and that's why we kind of have this, in, we have this in common and it is a rhythm and it defines who we are. So what other rhythms are there that we have together and we share together as a church? And what are those rhythms and what benefit do they bring to us? And what rhythms are useful to you for where you're at at the moment, emotionally and spiritually? I want to encourage you this new year to ask yourself the question, what spiritual habits and rhythms do you have? Why do you have them? And are they working? And are they suitable for your current state of emotional and spiritual health? Second question. 
Am I becoming judgmental, exclusive, or proud? Matthew 23, verses 5 to 7. If you've got your app on your phone or your Bible in your hand, have a scan through that. Jesus is talking about the Pharisees continuing. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garment long. They love the place of honour at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. No. I don't have any phylacteries um, or, or, or tassels. I have dongles, but... Uh, <laughs> these, were, these were items of clothing that were worn by the... Well, they, the, the phylacteries and the tassel were worn by men uh, in accordance with the Jewish law. And the Pharisees uh, and the teachers of the law tried to keep every aspect of the law, and one of them was to wear the tassels and uh, the phylacteries. Jesus himself wore tassels on his clothing. So he was not criticising the practice of wearing tassels or phylacteries, but he was criticising the Pharisees because they made a show of it. They were like, whoa, look at me. I'm wearing these phylacteries and tassels because I am super holy, because I observe the law in all its fullness. Uh, well, the truth is, is that uh, religious people of every type, of every culture, end up falling into this habit of being proud and judgmental of other people that don't keep the traditions of their culture and religion. Homer Simpson asked his neighbour, Ned Flanders, who is a devout evangelical Christian, where he'd been for the weekend. And Ned replied, we went to Christian camp where we were learning how to be more judgmental. Which kind of captures, doesn't it, the kind of sense of Christianity. Christians are just judgmental. They, they, they think that everyone should behave in a certain way and they judge people for not behaving in a certain way. You know, I want to say, I think it's important to recognise that if we can't answer the question why we have a particular spiritual habit or discipline, like coming to church on a Sunday or going to a community group or reading the Bible or, or some other habit or discipline that you subject yourself to, You've got to, if you don't answer the question why, you're going to appear judgmental to other people. You, you're not just going to appear, you are going to be judgmental of other people. Because you're going to say to yourself, well, I'm doing this. Why is no one else doing this? This is part of what it means to be a Christian. Why are other Christians not doing this? And you're going to end up looking a bit like Ned Flanders. Jesus was... Jesus, well, Jesus was even more evocative than Ned Flanders and what I've just said. In Matthew 29, sorry, Matthew 5, 29, Jesus is more evocative. He uses these words. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. So, is there any spiritual habit or discipline that is causing you to become judgmental, uh, exclusive or proud? And if there is, then Jesus would say to you, gouge it out. Like literally dig it out of your life. Like stop doing it. Because if it's not making you emotionally healthy and is making you proud and judgmental, it is not doing you any good and certainly not doing other people good. So let me ask you a question. Do you find yourself quietly judging other Christians who you think should be doing things that they're not doing? Do you judge other Christians who uh, don't read their Bible as much as you do or don't often pray as much as you do or don't serve as much as you do or don't get involved in church as much as you do? Do, do you judge them? And, and also, I just tell the question, do my friends and colleagues think I'm judgmental? 
Those are really difficult questions to ask yourself. But let, just let me encourage you to ask yourself those questions. Because there, there is a way out of it. You don't have to stay in that place. But the problem that we have is that when we get into rhythms and habits that we can't answer the question, why am I doing this? Then the reality is we're going to end up looking pretty judgmental of other people who don't share those habits. Third question to ask yourself is, am I becoming more approachable or less? Verse 7 of Matthew 23. They, that is the Pharisees, Jesus said, love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. So, in Jesus' day, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law they steered clear of people who were, would make them ceremonially unclean. So usually that was people who, were, who had any disease um, or were significantly ill. Maybe it's a bit like us with COVID. We kind of steer clear of people who got COVID. But here they did it and they looked down on those people. They saw those people as judged by God, that they were ill, that they were dying, they were diseased because they'd done something wrong, because they displeased God, which was nonsense in, in Jewish thinking. But the reality is that's how they behaved. And they also steered clear of people who were considered sinful. So people who, who outwardly had lifestyles which were described as sinful in the Bible, things like tax collectors, because they often would steal and rob people uh, whilst they collected taxes or uh, people who were prostitutes uh, they would they would be judged as sinful as well loads of different categories of sinful people so the priests and the pharisees used to steer clear of these people because contact with these people and association with these people would not just sully their name but would perhaps render them particularly with the priests unable to serve in the temple or the tabernacle um, a, a synagogue rather, not tabernacle. Um, and, and so they kept the distance. But Jesus never hid his contempt for this approach. He never hid it. He was contemptuous. And for those of you who think Jesus was just meek and mild, he was contemptuous of the Pharisees. And he, would, he said things like this. He said, those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Which is a warning to all of us. In contrast, Jesus was a man of the people. You probably know this already because you know the stories of Jesus. But Jesus physically and emotionally embraced the diseased and the sinful. Like, it's difficult for us to imagine the contrast between the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and Jesus. But it was like as great a contrast as you could imagine. So Jesus just embraced the people who the Pharisees and the teachers of the law excluded, who they kept their distance from. Jesus was so approachable. And, um, and the rabbis and the priests were often astonished by this, and they could not understand why Jesus would not keep his distance from these people. Uh, look at Mark chapter 2, verse 16, for, uh, for an example of their ast- astonishment and, and, and bafflement. And, and Jesus was, I mean, more than once, Jesus was criticised for eating and drinking like a drunkard. He, he, he was criticised for generally partying too much. There was an occasion where he was asked, like, why are you, got, why are you partying so much? He said, well, look, whilst I'm with you, I'm going to party. Whilst I'm with you, we're going we're gonna to celebrate because there will come a time where I won't be with you. Jesus was at the centre of every celebration, at the centre of every party where, wherever he was. And he was often criticised of having too much of a good time. Jesus, if, if Jesus was criticised for that, it wasn't because he was an austere Puritan. Okay, 
he turned gallons of water into wine, gallons. And that was at the end of the party when everyone was a bit drunk anyway. You know, you've got to understand that Jesus was at the heart of every celebration, the heart of every party. You would not have described Jesus as an austere Christian Puritan. Far from it. I think Jesus actually enjoyed himself more with the diseased and the sinful than he did with the religious people. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt the expectations of your neighbours and friends uh, uh, to be virtuous because you're a Christian? I have a good mate who's a, uh, he's a colonel in the army and... Um, and he once called me, or referred to me as the man of the cloth, uh, because I'm a pastor of a church. And because in the army, if you're a pastor or a chaplain, you kind of, you're set apart slightly. Uh, you, you know, you're considered slightly different from everyone else. Um, but the reality is, is that Christians are considered, and often Christians make themselves out as being separate. I mean, how many Christians have you talked about being not of the world? In the world, but not of the world. That's code for not having a good time. All right? Uh, Essentially, you know, as Christians, uh, we, we have this label and, and people will often use it to disinvite you. So, well, you, we kind of imagine you wouldn't want to like, have a drink because you're a Christian or we thought you wouldn't want to come to a party. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been uninvited to a party because you're a Christian or left out of certain conversations because you're a Christian or seen as lacking a certain sense of humour or being too serious or having a morally judgmental attitude. I don't know if, if you've ever sensed that from your neighbours and colleagues and friends. But here's the weird thing, I think. In our society, Christians are often considered to be boring and judgmental and on the periphery of every party and the periphery of every celebration, whereas Jesus was always at the heart of it. I don't quite understand why there's that difference. I don't understand that. And I'm not talking here about Christian parties. I'm talking about parties in your workplace, parties in your neighbourhoods. I'm, I'm talking about being the life and soul of your community. Why? Why do Christians find themselves so often on the periphery of those communities? I don't understand it because Jesus is right at the heart of it. So as you reflect on yourself, is there anything about your spiritual, emotional habits, rhythms, lifestyle that makes you less approachable? Do you think your neighbours and colleagues find it easy to be friends with you? Easy to invite you out for coffee? Easy to invite you to parties? And if not, why not? Why not? What is it about our behaviour, our habits, our lifestyle that might make us unapproachable in the same way that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were? Question four. Am I measuring my spiritual life in superficial ways? Chapter three, 23, rather, verses 23 to 24. Now, Jesus, this is, this is one section of what I call the woes. Jesus just lists woe to the Pharisees, woe to the teachers of the law. Honestly, if I was a Pharisee teacher of the law, I would have been devastated by what Jesus said. But here's just one example. Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, your cumin, which, by the way, were expensive spices. But you have neglected the important matters of the law, justice, mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out the gnat, but you swallow a camel. What a terrible metaphor that is, if only to make you gag. You, know, you strain out the gnat, but you swallow a camel. I mean, it just makes me want to gag. Doesn't that make you want to gag? It's awful. What a terrible thing to be accused of. Let me ask you a question. And it's a question I ask myself. How is your spiritual health these days? Start of 2022, how is your spiritual health? 
Now, some of you might already be thinking, well, in answer to that question, you're probably thinking, well, I turn up to church every week. Um, I'm a member of the community group. Uh, I read my Bible every day. And I say, yeah, 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 that's great that you're doing those things. But how are you? How is your spiritual life? How is your emotional life? The reality is, is that we can do all of those things and yet somehow our emotional health, our mental health can be unaffected by our spiritual activities. And let me say that if you are in that position where your spiritual activities are not really impacting on your emotional and mental health, something's wrong. It should. Because your spiritual health will never outpace your emotional health. Your spiritual health will never outpace your emotional health. That's, we work on that basis here at Seven. And this is something that we've only really come to realise ourselves and embrace fully ourselves in the last three or four years. But our spiritual health will never outpace our emotional health. So what are we doing to improve our emotional health? When a better answer to the question, uh, like how's your spiritual health, would be to ask yourself questions like, well, when did you last feel anxious and why? Emotionally, what's triggering you at the moment? What do you get triggered by? Um, when was the last time you were actively or passively aggressive? I say that because I'm actively aggressive, generally. Um, and, uh, <laughs> but there are is, is also passively aggressive. And when I realised that, I was like, oh, I felt a bit better about myself. Um, <laughs> when was the last time you lied and why? You know, what do you lie about? Uh, what makes you feel joyful? And why? What makes you feel sad at the moment? And why? When you ask those questions of yourself, because those things inform your spiritual health. It's really important that we recognise that what the Pharisees didn't have was integrity. And Jesus was really critical of them. He said, on the inside, you're like, you're like well, you're, you're basically like a dead person. And on the outside, you look beautiful. He said, that disconnect is not healthy and it's not right. So spiritual habits and rhythms should always have a purpose that impacts our emotional health because our spirituality is about increasing our wholeness and integrity. And if our spiritual habits and rhythms do not affect our inner life, then they are pointless and they are religious activities. They will make you appear judgmental and proud and exclusive. Um, they will put distance between you and other people. Uh, they will make you feel crap about yourself. What's the point? Like, your spiritual activities and habits need to have a point, and it should lead to health and wholeness and integrity. What's going on inside should affect what's going on the outside. So it makes sense to measure our spiritual health by the state of our emotional health, rather than just what we do. So if coming to church on a Sunday doesn't improve your wholeness and your integrity and your emotional health, we're doing something wrong. If going to a community group doesn't do that, we're doing something wrong because we're about spiritual and emotional health. So, let me ask you this final question. Am I authentic with other people? Matthew 23, verse 25, 26. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. <laughs> you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, exclamation mark. 
first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to the people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. These are strong words. And the reason why Jesus gets so uptight about it with these people is because they tell other people to do the same things that they're doing. You know, and Jesus is contemptuous of them for it. And, um, and he's contemptuous because they have a lack of authenticity, a lack of integrity. If you want to know what Jesus gets wound up about, it's a lack of being authentic. Just be yourself. And yet our churches are often places where we cannot be ourselves. One of our, we're going to be talk, talking about our values this year, and one of our values really touches on this whole idea of church being a place where you can be yourself and be real. Talked before about which self do you bring to church? Please bring your real self to church. Let's not be unreal. Let's be, let's be honest about who we are. And I'm not talking about wearing your heart and your sleeve, because we're not all extroverts, but I don't know about you, but whenever we see someone on one of these reality TV shows, the person that generally wins the affections of the public is the one that wears their heart on their sleeve, right? Where they actually are vulnerable and they open themselves up and they talk about what's really going on. Where you have a sense of, I really, I really feel like I know that person. They're the people that tend to win the affection of the general public on the reality TV shows. But I'm not talking, just talking about being an extrovert. I'm talking about being an introvert, an extrovert. It's all um, irrelevant. What we're talking about here is be, being the same person inwardly as we are outwardly. And we cannot dismiss Jesus' criticism of the Pharisees for being not, not having any integrity, for not being integral, not being the same on the outside as they are on the inside. But as I've already talked about earlier, to be real with other people takes courage. It takes courage to be vulnerable. You know, the reality is, is that we don't like uh, to be known for some of the things that we're not proud of, right? We like to keep them hidden. And unfortunately, we, we want to be perfect. We don't want other people to think we're perfect. But you know what? Um, we have to be honest with each other. And I want to be honest with you, you know, I, I've, from the stage like this, I've often talked about my own weaknesses. I just want to tell you some more stuff about myself, just fess up on myself again. You know, this is not comfortable for me to say this to you. But I want to do it because I think it's really important that we do this. Like, I'm not perfect, and I'm sorry, but I, as your pastor of this church, as one of the pastors of this church, I'm not perfect, and I cannot be perfect. And, uh, and, and you know, I mess up so much. So for me, like... Um, you might not want to know this, but I lose my temper at times. And sometimes I end up losing my temper at my wife or my kids, and I might swear at my wife or my kids. And you might think to yourself, how can you do that with a pastor of a church? Well, I do. Time to time I do. Or a driver, another driver on the road cuts me up. I'm mad. Not all the time, sometimes I'm patient. But sometimes I'll lose my temper, particularly if I'm wound up or I'm frustrated about something else. You don't want to imagine, do you, that the pastor of your church gets jealous and competitive? But I do. I'm a nightmare to live with sometimes. <laughs> you don't want to know that um, I intentionally irritate my wife and kids for fun at times. I will poke them emotionally. And my sisters will tell you I did it as a kid as well. You don't want to know that, though, because actually it's quite irritating. Um, and um, uh, you don't want to know that um, my wider family would say I'm often distant and I, I don't involve them in my life um, 
you wouldn't, you don't want to know that my friends, we have some friends to stay over Christmas, so I'm, Gary's my best man, Ian, Claire, his wife I lived with whilst I was a student at university. We, we don't contact them very much, and we are the least contactable, I think, out of all their friends. You know, when they're in front of us, we give them our full attention. When we're not, we don't. We're not great friends. We're not good at being friends with people because we're not as intentional about it as I wish we were. Um, you probably don't want to know that I can be stubborn. Some of the staff already know this. But I can be stubborn and inconsiderate at times when I've made my mind up. I was like, no, I'm just going to, you know, I'm right. My daughter gave me a mug this Christmas that said, I'm part of the I'm Always Right Club. You know, uh, you know, is anyone else a member of that club? Yeah, I could get you a mug, yeah. But seriously though, like, it's annoying when someone always insists they're right and you're wrong, isn't it? And I'm a bit like that sometimes. You probably don't want to know that. You don't want to know that your past is like that. Um, you don't want to know that I'm often judgmental of other people. I'm getting better at this because I, I noticed it as a terrible trait of mine. But often judgmental, I'll judge someone. Claire will tell you this. I'll, ju- I'll make my mind up about someone without even knowing them. Like, they say first impressions count, right? But, I mean, it's ridiculous what I do, isn't it? Sometimes, like, I will, I will be judgmental of someone immediately. I hardly know. Claire's like, you hardly know them. How can you say that about them? Well, it's my gut feeling. It's like, it's just terrible. And although, you know, I know, I know, I know you're probably all thinking, like, there are things that you, you're, you could probably say the same about yourself, but the reality is, is that you want your pastor to not be like this, right? You want the pastor of the church to be a sort of person that is perfect, and Jesus wasn't perfect. Uh, sorry, Jesus was perfect, but, but Jesus wasn't, was very aware that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, that he knew they weren't perfect, but they held themselves up as perfect. And what I'm trying to say to you is, let, as Christians in this church, let's not hold ourselves up as perfect. Let's be more vulnerable and honest about the way we really are. And honestly, we can all breathe a sigh of relief, can't we? Because I kind of get the impression we're not, I'm not the only one in, the, in this room who might feel like this about themselves. But here's the thing. Um... Whilst I cannot be perfect, what I can be is authentic. And I want to be authentic with you. I want to be honest with you. Um, and I want to grow up before I grow old. So how can we be authentic if we don't have the courage to be vulnerable with each other? You're not going to get there, guys. If you do not be honest about who you are with other people, you are not going to be authentic. And people are going to have impressions of you which aren't true. And there will be this, particularly if you're religious, there will be this kind of disconnect between who you are on the outside and who you are on the inside. And that's exactly what Jesus was criticising in the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So it's really important that we recognise that authenticity was at the heart of what Jesus wants for us. He wants us to be real with him. He wants us to be real with each other. So if you don't already do this already, can I encourage you to find two people this year, not this year, this month, who you can hook up with on a routine basis and just be real with and be reflective with. And just get those four questions, which you can find on our website, uh, on the triplets. Just go there and ask those four questions of each other. First, ask those questions of yourself, then ask them of other people. All right? And, and then spend an hour, um, once a week or once a fortnight, just sharing with each other, being real. And my gosh, I tell you what, you're going to find such joy, such hope, such comfort, such community. For people that kind of are part of this church that think, and I don't feel connected, it's because you're not making yourself vulnerable with other people. Because when you start making yourself vulnerable with other people and they honour your trust that you put in them, you feel more connected to them. 
You'll feel such joy. I felt during the pandemic more connected to those three guys than I've felt in years of doing church with people in a community group even because I'm sharing it on a real deep level. So I really want to encourage you to do that and encourage you in this habit of reflection as you start 2022. Can I also encourage you just to make a decision about your emotional spiritual life? Reflect on what emotional and spiritual rhythms you have in your life and ask yourself the question, why do you do them? And if you can't answer the question why, then stop doing it and pick up some rhythms and habits that have a purpose, that lead you into life. Let's be spiritually healthier this year than we were last year. Now, there's some suggestions to help you with all of this. You'll find all of it on our website. But first of all, form a triplet. Already talked about that. And you can do it with anyone you like. And if you can't think of anyone, just connect with Dan Green, one of our associate pastors, and he'll put you in connection with other people that want to do it. So start doing that on a weekly or a fortnightly basis, if that's helpful. Sign up for the Emotionally Focused Introduction, which is on February 12th, February 13th, where you can learn more about how to do this and how to grow emotionally and spiritually. That's a really, uh, uh, that'll cost you, it's going to cost you eight hours on a Saturday, it's going to cost you four hours on the Sunday, it's 12 hours over a weekend. Excuse me, for those of you at home, I belched. Um, <laughs> the reality is, is that Emotionally Focused has been such a tremendous engine for change in the lives of quite a lot of people in this church now. And we are majoring on it this year. So if you want to grow in this, sign up for that 12-hour course, which is on February 12th, 13th, and make it a priority. I don't care if you don't come to church for four weeks in order to free up the time to do that. Right? Just choose a habit that works for you. Choose to invest in your emotional spiritual health. Uh, and then third one, sign up for an Emmanuel prayer session. Claire can tell you all about that. This is just a most tremendous experience that many of you in the room probably already would go, yes, Emmanuel prayer, just have a go at that because it will transform your relationship with Jesus. So have a go at that. I can't say anything more, I haven't got any time. And the final thing is, I haven't written it on there, but basically uh, we've just relaunched all the 12 talks from our um, Life Giving Habits series as a podcast. And if you, you've probably not heard of it, some of you are looking around the room because some of you joined us recently. We, we taught on life-giving habits, spiritual disciplines, you might call it that, um, between 2014 and 2017. And we've put it all together on a podcast for you. So sign up for that podcast wherever you get your podcasts and have a listen to some of those talks. That'll give you some ideas of, of, of life-giving habits, spiritual disciplines, spiritual emotional healthy disciplines that you can use to grow emotionally and spiritually this year. Is that all right? Fantastic.